How's everybody doing? Look good today? Handsome crowd out there. Get your in your Bibles, the book of Psalms. Psalm 118. You know, sometimes uh, you're more or less, uh, as a minister, as a preacher, excited about different messages. Uh, and this is one of those ones that uh, I'm excited about. This is, uh, this is a fun topic, and I think a topic that uh, ought to be interesting uh, for all of you. And that's the idea of success. Success. We live in uh, circumstances in our life, oftentimes, where life is either being successful or not, right? And uh, we have to think through the whole thing. Sometimes people wonder, uh, should I actually, should I pray that I would be successful? And I think uh, this scripture here ought to give you an answer to that. Psalm 118 and verse 25. Oh Lord, save us. Oh Lord, grant us success. So if you've ever wondered, well, is it right to pray for success? Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> there you have it. Book, chapter, and verse. The idea of being successful. That we should pray about it. There's a lot more about being successful that we're going to look at here and study in the, in the Scriptures. But the idea, first of all, of praying for success, hey, you should pray for success. What should you pray for success in? What do you think? <laughs> Someone said money. Okay, to make money. Right, okay. What else? Family, to have a, a successful family, yes. School. School, to do well in school. All my students down here, you know. Pray <laughs> that you do well on that test. Yes, it's okay. You say, well, what if I didn't study? Then you need to really pray. <laughs> because you clearly aren't ready uh, for, for the test. But, uh, you know, uh, what else should we pray for? Yeah. Okay. Uh, to find a... To find a girlfriend uh, or a boyfriend. Uh, yeah, Jacob? Same thing. Oh, same thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and that really is sort of what I was thinking. Because the title I came up with uh, for the lesson is Success in Your Thing. Whatever your thing is. You know what I'm saying? I mean, for our teens down here, they're probably not going to pray for their marriage. <laughs> that probably isn't the first thing on their mind, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, and for the, for the older people out there, the older singles in marriage, you're probably not going to pray that you do well in your next test. You know, because that's not really a part of your life and something that you're going through. But all of us in this room have something that is our thing right now. What do you want to be successful in? Right now. I mean, you know what? Five years ago, what may be happening five years uh, in, in the future, it might be something different. But what do you really want to have success in right now? And I want you to get that in your mind. What would you really like to have success in? I want to be a good parent. Uh, you know, I, I want to have success in my career. Uh, I want to be a 
you know, uh, a more successful athlete. I know some of you guys, uh, you know, uh, uh, Connie is running, uh, you know, races and uh, marathons and all that kind of thing. You know, some of you guys would, would never think of even doing such a thing. But, you know, uh, for her to say, I, I want to I be successful. I want to run a faster time than I ever have. I want to have a, a PR, a personal record, you know, that, that kind of a thing. Uh, but whatever... You sort of wrote on your notes, at the top of your page. What do you think you want to have success in right now? And that may be different. Husband and wife may write down different things. That's okay. They'll be looking at somebody else's paper. Okay? It isn't important that what they're thinking about being successful in. It's important what you think that you would like to have success in, in your life. And we're going to look at this idea of it. Look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Are you guys with me out here? It's going to be an interesting study for you because we all want to have success, right? Sure we do. I do. No one wants to, you know, pray that I be defeated. You know, I pray, pray that I'm, uh, that I lose. You know, you don't, you don't want that. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. Each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation, using, and he goes on and he talks about that. Paul talks about himself here as being an expert builder. He believes that what he has done has been successful. He's, he's talking about what he built, and meaning the church here uh, in Corinth, in the context of what he's saying. And he said, I, I laid the foundation, I began this building process as an expert builder. You know, just because you try to do something doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have success. There's some keys to success. There's some ideas that probably are going to apply to almost every one of us, and hopefully the two I'm going to give you here today apply to all of us. If we're going to have success, what are we going to have to do? How can we look at ourselves and say, hey, I'm, I'm really an expert in what I'm doing here. I'm having success. And these things are very, I think, applicable to all of us. Number one. You've got to get the foundation right. You've got to get the foundation right of whatever you're doing or whatever you're going to build is not going to be able to stand the test of time or it may, not, it may fall down it may not even get up. If you don't get the foundation right in your life. Now he says here, as he talks about this, he says, uh, say, I laid a foundation, an expert building, someone else is building on it. And then in verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he is saying that the foundation of the church in Corinth that he built, he said the most important thing that I laid out from the very beginning was Jesus Christ. And he talks about that actually back in chapter 2. Look back there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2. Now, what we're going to look at here are several different comments that he makes that are foundational comments about life. 
and how to go about doing things, at least according to Paul. You know, a lot of people talk about something, uh, you know, a company uh, would have a mission statement, right? And a mission statement is, hey, if you get the mission statement right, then everything's going to sort of flow off of that. Well, this is like a personal purpose kind of statement. In chapter, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, he said, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ, And Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. He says, I want you guys to understand. When I came, and we're going to go back uh, in a minute, we're going to look at Acts 18 where we have Luke's account of the church in Corinth being established by Paul. We'll read that in just a minute. But he says, I want you to understand what was going on inside of me. What was foundational to me? What was I thinking about? In verse 2 there he says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said, it was in my mind, it was what I really wanted to make us the most important thing about this church and about your faith is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's foundational. It's a foundational statement. It's a mission statement. It's saying, this is what was going on in my mind. Have you ever had a conversation with someone where you're trying to help them understand, this is what I was thinking? Have you ever had that conversation with someone? And and, and it's important for you that they understand, this is what, at least in my mind, this is what I was trying to do. This is what I was trying to say. This was me at a gut level. Of the foundation that was built, was built upon this desire on my part that the most important thing was not wise and persuasive words. He says, you know, I, I realize I'm not that good sometimes. And, and he says, that's not really the bottom line of what I was trying to do anyway. Really, I wasn't really trying to come to you to be the most eloquent guy you've ever heard. I was trying to make sure more than anything else you understood that this is about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is foundational kind of things. If you're going to be successful in life, you've got to have some foundational kinds of things. You really have to ask and and delve into your own mind and your heart what is really important. To me, what am I trying to accomplish? Because you know, life sometimes, for every single person in this room, is hard. And you start doing something sometimes, and you realize, oh my goodness, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Have you ever had that thought? You know, Chris right now is doing her master's degree work uh, in uh, in nursing. 
And uh, I remember when she was telling me, I'm thinking about doing this. And I said, well, you know, what, what is it all about? And she says, well, it's online. That makes it a lot easier. And it looks like most of the classes aren't that hard. And, and, and looking through it, I talked to the advisor. And she said, oh, yeah, looking at your grades and your experience. Yeah, I don't think this is going to be very hard. Well, the other day, <laughs> she, she was now this was after statistics and organic chemistry. Oh. What was the class you were taking? Evidence-based practice. Evidence-based practice. Now, doesn't that sound like a really easy course? <laughs> she, she said, I, I had no idea this was going to be this hard. And most of us at one time or another had that feeling. Every married person in here has had a moment. Maybe not Jacob and Tiffany. They haven't been married that long. Trust me. You'll be there. You have a moment when you think, I had no idea this was going to be this hard. Parents, have you ever had the feeling with your children? I had no idea it was going to be this hard. And of course, you know, we, we don't know what, what we yet have to have go through, you know. We may not even be at the hard stuff yet, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> many, many college students feel that way at times. I had no idea, you know, it was going to be this long. Four years, no problem, you know. Well, about halfway through your first year, you're like, oh my gosh, this will never end. <laughs> But you've got to, you've, when, when, you, when you're going through that kind of thing and trying to have success, you've got you've to go, you've got something to fall back on. You've got to have a foundation. And he says here, in a foundational statement, the most important thing I was trying to do was bring forth to you, not me as a really cool guy. What I was trying to bring forth to you was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, I want to show you a couple other foundational statements from him just to give you a feel for this whole idea. Look over to Philippians 3.13. Philippians 3.13. Success is based upon getting a foundation built that's a good foundation. These foundational purpose statements. In uh, Philippians 3, verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or I have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. See, that's a foundational statement. One thing I do. I've I've got very few foundational things in my life, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me uh, heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's a foundational statement of success. I know I'm not where I need to be. I recognize I've got a lot of things in my life that I haven't gotten changed, that I need to get changed somewhere down the road. But one thing I do... I forget what is behind. I am not going to be 
uh, burdened and, and controlled by my failures of what I haven't changed. And I am going to press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is a foundational statement, guys. Yeah. He's saying, this is who I am. I know I'm not what I need to be. You know, sometimes people feel like, gosh, I've got so many things in my life I need to change. Wonderful! That is way better than someone who says, no, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm everything I need to be. Right. And you look at them and you say, wow, man, we are delusional. <laughs> I can give you three off the top of my head. Things you need to change. Most of us are much more like this than what Paul is saying here. We know we're not totally what we need to be. But we let that bug us too much. He says, okay, fine. I know I'm not where I need to be, but one thing I do, I am not going to be trapped in the past. I am going to press on toward the future. That's a foundational kind of statement. Look over to Galatians chapter 2. Another one from him. About his life. Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body. He says, this is what I want my body to do. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I want... If, if I could get the outcome of my life that I really want, I really want my life to be furthering Christ and not furthering me. Yeah. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. He says, I'm trying to get myself out of the way so that Christ's purposes and Christ's ideals, so that Christ. Uh, 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 eventualities can come through me. You've got to get the foundation of your life set up with some really key comments. Let me give you a couple that I wrote down here that these might be things that we might say or might more easily come out of uh, our mouths. I am going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to, in other words, you're saying, I'm going to try to be a good child of God. I know that I am not at moments. I know that I fail at moments. I know that I'm not where I need to be at moments. But I am going to try to be faithful. Right. And faithful unto death, if you understand what I'm saying. The idea here. This is a foundational statement that, that a person can make in their life. If you're going to have success in your life, I've decided I, I am going to be faithful. You know, people say sometimes, well, you can't say whether you're going to be faithful all your life. Well. Um, why not? Right. Right. I remember when I got married. That was a number of years ago. Yeah. Almost 30 
36. 36. Uh, <laughs> you were wrong. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. He clearly isn't. I said, you know, I'm going to be faithful to Chris until death do us part. Right? So if you can make that kind of commitment in marriage, you certainly can make that commitment to Christ. Can't you? Now, in making that commitment to Chris, was it a commitment that I'm always going to be a great husband? Uh, No, that one was, was blown pretty easy. You know, I mean... You know, just me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be a good husband sometimes just because me. You know, I'm just a knucklehead. And she's not always going to be a good wife just because she's a knucklehead. Women can't be knuckleheads. It's not a, it's not a male-only club of knuckleheads. Uh, women can be knuckleheads too. Okay? Boneheads. You know, different applications, but, uh, you know, same thing. Yeah, you you you've got to you've got to realize. Hey, I'm not always going to perform well, but my intentions are to be faithful unto death. And I can certainly say that about my Christian life that I intend to be faithful until my life ends. That's a foundational statement of being a Christian. I am way more likely to be successful as a Christian if I understand in my mind, I may have a bad day. I may have a bad week. I may have a bad month. But I'm not going anywhere. You get what I'm saying right there? That's a foundational statement of Christian success. You're going to be successful in one sense or another of success because you have resolved that in your mind. It's not, well, I'm going to be faithful as long as... No, I'm going to be faithful unto death. And so that, that's a foundational statement you can make, that, like he was making it. You know, another way to put that is that I'm not going away. <laughs> I'm not going away. You can't run me off. You know, one thing I found as a young minister, it, it sort of surprised me. But I figured this out relatively early as a minister, is that for people who really want to be Christians... You can't preach too hard for them. They love it. I mean, you, I, I'd get up sometimes in the early days in DeKalb in Chicago and burn the house down. And brothers and sisters come up and say, oh, that was awesome. Man, I needed that. That was great. Now, funny enough, over the many years, I found that some of the statements that I made that some people hated the most were the same statements that other people loved the most. Some of you were in the room years ago at Shrine Auditorium where I was preaching and I I looked at the exit signs. We've got two of them right here, but there were more of them at the Shrine Auditorium. That's a big room. And I said, there's an exit sign there and there and there and there. If you don't like it, leave! (laughs) There were a few people that thought that was a little over the top. There were other people who came up and said, That was awesome! But this foundational stuff of, I am going to be a Christian, I am a Christian, this is who I am, success in your thing, I'm a Christian parent. 
I'm a Christian student. I want to be a Christian employer. I want to be a Christian employee. I want to be a Christian retiree. I want to be a Christian man. I want to be a Christian woman. I want to be a Christian citizen. I want to be a Christian whatever. You've resolved that in your mind. You're not doing it for a year. This isn't a decade. This isn't a fad in your life. This is, it's gone from being something that was new and interesting to foundational. It's who you are. Everything you do is controlled by it. And it all funnels through that mission statement, that personal thing. You understand what I'm saying? Now, let's go back and look at the other thing here I want to give you. Man, I got, I got going on that one and we may not have as much time here, but I may go long. Who knows? Uh, but uh, look over to Acts uh, 18. I told you we'd get there and we, we will. Acts 18. Sorry about that, guys. I got carried away. We find something here that, that's real crucial in this success thing. It says, after this, at the beginning of verse 1, this is Paul planting the church. Or the, this is Luke's telling of, of Paul's planting of the church there in, or in Corinth. He says, after this, after he was in Athens, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There, he met a Jew named Aquila, a, a native of Pontus. Now, Pontus, interestingly enough, this is just side information, is northern Turkey, uh, Georgia kind of area up there. Uh, in other words, the very, very southern part of what today we would know as uh, Russia or the former Soviet Union, sort of on the Black Sea kind of area there. So he's from way up in there. He's a, he's a Gentile guy. Uh, a Jewish guy that uh, has become a follower. And it says, uh, uh, who recently had come from Italy uh, with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. So he goes to Corinth, and interestingly enough, he meets this couple, and they have the same occupation uh, from a worldly point of view. They make tents. And Paul says, hey, let's just work together here for a while. So he's in the ministry. He's still doing the ministerial things. But he also was making money on the side in this tent making thing with Priscilla and Aquila. It says in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And so, you know, he, he was working at one time to make money on the side. Now, when, when uh, the other guys come in, Timothy and Silas come on in, then he, he's, he goes full time back in the ministry. So sometimes he's making money and sometimes he's not. He says, but when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. So this guy is a Roman guy that has evidently become a believer. 
Crispus, the synagogue ruler. Now he left the synagogue and went to, to Ephesus' house, which was next door. It says Crispus and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. So they're having a lot of baptisms. These people are coming to faith. They're getting baptized. Things are cranking. He had a difficult time with the Jews. He said, forget it. I'm not going to fight with you guys all the time. I'll go on over and I'll, I'll, I'll work with uh, uh, Festus or, uh, and, and his, uh, Justice rather, and his uh, Gentile friends. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Now why does God come to you in a vision and tell you to not be afraid? Because you are afraid. That's right. See how easy the Bible is to understand? <laughs> Just a little of thinking sometimes. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul said for a year and a half, teaching them the Word of God. Here's the second thing that I want to give you about success. The first one is you've got to get the foundation right. second one is, is you have to manage your fears. You have to manage your fears. Even the great Apostle Paul evidently was afraid. You know, actually being afraid is, is not... There's not anything wrong about being afraid. It's whether you let your fears control you or not is really more the issue. As a matter of fact, sometimes if you're not afraid, you're not paying attention. You know, you actually should be afraid, uh, and, and and you're not. You know, and there's times in all of our lives uh, where we can we can become afraid, and we can think, hey, uh, something bad might happen. Oftentimes, we, our fears are not just about our safety, uh, but we we are afraid for other people around us, uh, our children. Uh, parents understand that uh, well, but we're afraid not just of what may happen to me, but we're, we're afraid of what might happen to other people around us that we care about. And he has to sort of manage his fears. Remember when Jesus was in the boat uh, and, and the storm came up and the storm's going crazy and all the thing, and uh, he's asleep on a cushion. This is from Mark 4, if you want to go look at it. But it's one of the great stories. They go wake up Jesus and they say, are, are, you know, aren't you going to help us or whatever? And he, he says, peace, be still. You know? And the storm just settles off. And, uh, and they're like, wow, man, uh, what is that all about? And they didn't totally understand Jesus and who He was at that time and His power and all that kind of a thing. But they were afraid. And Jesus says, why are you afraid? Don't you know who I am? Of course, the answer is no, they didn't. And that's why they were afraid. But he's trying to help them, even in that story, he's trying to help them understand there's a way to manage your fears. When you think about the thing that, you know, success in your thing, whatever that thing is that you wrote down on your paper that you want to have success at, almost any of those things are going to bring fear into play at one time or another. That you're afraid you can't be the parent that you want to be. You're afraid that you can't, uh, you don't have the, the intelligence to, to pass the course uh, that you're taking in school or in college and that kind of thing. And, and all of a sudden, instead of being full of confidence and faith, you're more full of fear. 
and instead of you know really believing I'm going to be successful, you begin to sort of figure, oh no, I'm failing. I'm going to look bad. I, you know, people are going to think I'm a failure if I, you know, fail in this and, and that kind of a thing. Managing fear is an issue, not of being afraid or not. All of us are going to be afraid at times. Paul was afraid. But managing fear is an issue of understanding that God is with you. Look back to the Psalms. And I really, you know, you have to go back to the Psalms sometimes to get some of these real rich kind of comments. Psalm 3 about fear and how to deal with fear when it comes up in our life. Because we're all afraid uh, at one time or another. In Psalm uh, 3, in verse 1, it's a Psalm of David. He says, O Lord, how many are my foes? He's praying to God. He's thinking to God. He says, how many, are my, how many of them rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and He answers me from His holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the ten thousands who draw up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord. Deliver me, O God. Strike my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. And you know, I have to say, I sort of like that. As David's prayer. He says, God, they scare me. Protect me. Strike my enemies on the jaw and break the teeth of the wicked. Lord, punch them out. (laughs) Knock your teeth down their throat, Lord. They're scaring me. Stick up for me here. I'm feeling it a little bit. Look over to Psalm 27. You say, well, that, just, that, that means you, you like all that violent stuff. Uh, and maybe, it does. Psychoanalyze me later. Uh, Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When an evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek Him in His temple. The great David, the great warrior, the great king dealt with fear. It's okay to be afraid. But you have to learn to manage your fears. How did Jesus say manage the fears? Trust in Me. See, a lot of times our fear is that I am going to be a failure. I am afraid that I am going to experience pain. The truth of the matter is, is that we will have failures in our life. There's not a person in the world that doesn't have failures in their life. Things that can be interpreted as failures in their life. But the failure is the person who quits because they totally lost their confidence. Jesus says, trust in Me. I'll take care of it. I'll give you the strength you need. I will allow you to go through the difficulties that you need to go through. 
along the way to ultimately build you into the person that you need to be. You've got to learn to manage your fears along the way. Last scripture, look over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Of course, this is significant because it's what? It's Corinthians, right? He's, he's writing, this is now his second letter to the church in Corinth. And we know that he says that he was afraid. He tells them, reminds them of that. And in 2 Corinthians, he talks about how he feels when he's going through a difficult time. In verse 7, it says, To keep me from becoming conceited about these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul here is being honest about his life. He says, sometimes I have felt like life is too much. That God has put too much on me. That I cannot bear it. And I prayed three times, God, take this Away. We don't know exactly what this was that he's making reference to. But he pleads with the Lord, he says, multiple times, please take this away. And God says no. Sometimes the answer we need from God is no. It's not the answer we want. What we want is yes. But God says no. Because ultimately... This is going to make you better. And Paul shares that I, I came to understand that. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ I delight in weaknesses. He says, I've come to realize something I never ever would have figured out unless I had gone through this hard time. Is it going through the hard time develops me in ways that I would never develop unless I went through it. And therefore, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in persecutions. He's saying, I enjoy it at the moment. Probably not. But I understand that difficulties and hardships and those kind of things have to come my way for me ultimately to get to where God can get me. But I have to go through this. When we're going through a hard time in our life, we have to remember that. We have to realize God is the author not only of the easy times in our life, but He's also the author of the difficult times in our life. And the interesting thing is, is oftentimes the things in life that we remember the most are the lessons we learned not in going through the easy time, but the lessons we learned going through the difficult times. And that's in essence what He's saying right here. Pray for success. God, give me success in my test. Give me success in my career. Give me success in my marriage. Give me success as a parent. Give me success in my business. Give me success in what, what I'm doing in life. Pray for success. We saw that earlier, right? And lay the foundation, guys. Get the foundation right in your life and learn how to manage your fear. I hope our study today has been a good one for you. 
God bless. Now, uh, Chris and I are going to be out at Bonnie's wedding. Uh, a bunch of you are going to be out there too. But uh, uh, So, uh, Jacob will have you at Garfield Park at 10 o'clock on, on Sunday, next Sunday. And I'm sure uh, he and a Tiffany will do a great job with that. But uh, Chris and I love you. Proud to be your servant. Let's have a good week. Yeah.